Hello. Welcome to the Myths of the Norse. Chapter 5, Tales of Murder and Theft. The Aesir and the Farnir had been at peace for many years. Meanwhile, the man the two races of gods had made from their spit travelled around the worlds being wise. He knew all the secrets and mysteries of all nine worlds. Never did his knowledge fail him. Never was he without an answer to any question. Gvasir the Wise was loved and respected by all. Men, gods, elves, dwarfs and giants hung on his every word. It was therefore inevitable that someone would kill him. Kvasir's wandering found him at the house of a couple of dwarfs, brothers called Fjallar and Galar. There was a gathering at the dwelling at which Kvasir was wonderfully wise. After the main meeting, the two brothers asked the wisest of wise men for a word in private. Wisely, and with much wisdom, Kvasir agreed and followed them to a back room. There they both drew knives and stabbed Kvasir over and over again. As the blood poured out of his body, they let it flow into two vats called Bodden and Son, and a kettle called Odrerir. They sent a message to the Aesir informing them that poor Kvasir was dead. This, of course, was true. They were a little less honest about the cause of death. The dwarves informed the gods that Kvasir had choked on his own wisdom. Surprisingly, the Aesir seemed to accept the explanation. Fjallar and Galar mixed the blood of Kvasir with honey, which produced a fine mead. This was named the Mead of Inspiration, because whoever drank it became a poet and a scholar. Now it may have ended here. The two dwarfs may have become guardians of the Mead of Inspiration and doled it out wisely. It seems, though, that instead they developed a taste for murder. They invited a giant called Gilling and his wife to come and visit them. There was some squabbling, after which the dwarven siblings invited Gilling to come out with them in their boat and take in the sea air. The giant agreed, and the two smaller men rowed him out to some rocks. There, they deliberately capsized their own boat. Gilling could not swim and drowned. The dwarfs, who were excellent swimmers, righted the boat and rowed back to shore. When they got home, they told Gilling's wife, in anguished tones, that the boat had been hit by a huge wave and capsized. What a shame Gilling couldn't swim, they grieved. Gilling's wife, quite understandably, took the news very badly and wailed at the top of her voice. The dwarfs, still pretending to be caring and sorrowful, offered to take the giantess and show her where her unfortunate husband had lost his life. She nodded and prepared herself. Meanwhile, Fjallar whispered to Galar that he was tired of the big woman's wailing. He gave his brother an instruction. Galar left the room. A few minutes later, Fjallar led the weeping giantess from the room. He motioned for her to go through the front door before him, head bowed respectfully. She walked through the entranceway and was immediately hit on the head by a millstone dropped by Galar from above the door. Gilling's wife died instantly. The giant couple's son, Suttung, heard about the unnatural deaths of his parents. Someone must have seen what had happened to his mother because Suttung seemed to know exactly how she had died. He travelled to the dwarf's home and seized them. He tied them up and ferried them to some large rocks a few miles from the shore. There he stranded them, either to die from starvation or drowning. The brothers looked at each other and nodded in unison. "'We have an offer,' said Fjallar. "'Spare our lives, and we will give you the greatest treasure that there is. It is called the Mead of Inspiration, and it is made from Kvasir's blood. Drink it, and you will be wise. You will be a poet and a scholar.' Suttung agreed, and stuck to his part of the bargain. The two dwarfs lived. Suttung took the mead back to Jortenheim, 
and stored it in a chamber buried deep in the heart of the mountain. This hiding place was called Hnitbjorg. Suttung told his daughter that he was giving her the most important duty imaginable. She was to guard the Mead of Inspiration. Now, Suttung didn't keep his possession of the Mead of Inspiration a secret. Very soon its existence was known to the Aesir. Odin, always on the lookout for sources of wisdom, left Asgard and vowed to possess the Mead. The Allfather set off and was soon in Jotunheim. As he was strolling through the farmlands of the world of giants, he came upon nine slaves who were cutting hay. He was disguised as a farm worker. Do you like working for a giant? he asked. They answered that it wasn't too bad, but that their scythes were too blunt to cut hay, and their master, Suttung's brother Baugi, wouldn't help them keep them sharp. Odin offered to help, and took a whetstone from his belt. When he had finished, the scythe blades were as sharp as razors. The slaves were amazed, and each offered to buy the whetstone from the visitor. Odin replied that any of the men could have it if they gave him what they thought was reasonable. The slaves couldn't agree, and scuffled, so Owen threw it into the air so it would land in the middle of the group. All nine leapt forward and tried to grab the prize. All were still carrying their razor-sharp scythes, though, and in the melee the throats of all nine were cut. Nobody won the whetstone. All won death. Odin walked away from the carnage and to the house of Balgi. There he sought lodgings with the brother of the Mead Guardian. He introduced himself as a worker called Bolverk. Balgi was not too keen on giving shelter to a wanderer, given that his hay-cutting productivity had been reduced by the death of his nine workers. Bolverk offered to do the work of nine men for the whole summer, in return for lodgings and a sup of his brother's charmed mead. Balgi agreed, even though he had no permission from Suttung. Just like the Aesir assessing the ability of the builder to build Asgard's wall in six months, Balgi assumed Bolverk could never do nine men's work for a whole summer. But of course he did. At the end of the summer, Bolverk asked for his wages. Balgi went to see his brother and asked Suttung for a sup of the mead for his supernatural worker. No chance, replied Suttung. Neither you nor he are getting a drop. Balgi relayed his brother's answer to Bolverk. Well, said Bolverk, you owe me my wages, and if you can't get the mead by asking, you'll have to help me steal it. Surprisingly, Balgi agreed. He was a bit afraid of his brother, but he was probably scared of the superhuman Bolverk too. Bolverk pulled an auger, a sort of drill called Ratty, from his belt. He and Balgi travelled to the mountain and reached the spot where they thought they should bore a hole in order to reach Hnitbjorg. Balgi said he'd let Bolverk know when he thought the auger had reached the chamber. Balgi drilled. Soon Balgi told Bolverk he felt the auger reach fresh air. He had drilled through to Hnitbjorg. Bolverk leant in and blew the shavings, thinking they would blow through the hole. Instead, he received a faceful of rock chips. Quickly he realised the giant had tried to trick him and blind him with chippings. He told Balgi he had failed and he must drill right through this time. The giant tried again. Again he told Bolverk he was through. He didn't dare try the same trick again and this time he did drill right through. This time when Bolverk blew, the chips went through the hole. Bolverk, Odin, was taking no chances. Quickly he transformed himself into a snake and dived through the hole. He was only just in time. The startled giant had swung the auger, trying to strike Bolverk. 
but instead had watched him turn into the serpent and missed completely. Odin found himself in Hnitbjorg. Suttung's daughter, Gunnlod, was sat on a stool, guarding the mead. She was somewhat taken aback by the sudden appearance of a snake, which morphed almost immediately into a one-eyed giant. Gunnlod was quite pleased by what she saw. Taking no notice at all of Suttung's instructions to concentrate entirely on mead guarding, she flirted with the newcomer. He asked for a sip of mead. She demanded a kiss in return. She got more than a kiss for three nights, in return for three gulps of the magical mead. But these were no ordinary gulps. With his first gulp, old Odin downed all of the mead in Odreria. With his second, he emptied Bodden. With his third gulp, the Allfather consumed the entire contents of Son. The body of Odin now contained all of the mead of inspiration. He changed form again, this time into an eagle, and flew away. He soared above the clouds back to Asgard. Suttung had sipped the mead, and he knew the secrets of shape-changing. He transformed himself into an eagle too, and set off in pursuit. The Aesir watched from Asgard, hoping to see Odin appear. They were delighted when an eagle came into view. They had prepared jars and bowls ready to receive the mead. The gods were less pleased to see another eagle come into view close behind the first. Anxiously, they cheered Odin on. The Allfather, filled with mead, just made it. He flew into Asgard a wingspan ahead of Suttung, who found himself shut out of the home of the gods. Odin could not quite hold all of the mead, and let a small amount out before he reached safety. This became the bad poet's portion. Odin spat the rest of the mead into jars, vats and bowls that the Aesir had prepared. The mead of inspiration was safe in Asgard. The Aesir had lost the wise Kvasir, but his wisdom lived on in the enchanted drink. Every now and then, one of the Aesir would take a sip. Sometimes a man in Mithgard was allowed a taste. These men became poets. The Aesir were safe in their realm. They had the mead of inspiration to keep them wise and inspired, and they had the apples of Idun to keep them strong and young. Idun's apples were important to the inhabitants of Asgard. The goddess kept them safe in a wooden box, and every now and then each of the Aesir would take a bite from one, and youth and vigour would course through them. As long as the apples were safe in Asgard, there was no danger of their power diminishing. One summer's day, Odin was strolling through a forest in Mithgard with Honir and Loki. They were happy and relaxed. None had a care in the world. They had walked many miles, though, through mountains and deserts and were tired and hungry. Food was what was needed, they decided, and being gods, they immediately walked into a valley where a herd of oxen were grazing. The three Aesir had no trouble catching and killing one of the beasts, and they soon had prepared a fine fire to cook it. They cut the animal into huge pieces and put the pieces into the heart of the fire. There they began to hear the sound of roasting and smelled the smell of meat. The gods left the meat to cook for a long time, growing slowly more hungry, but smiling to themselves about how good dinner was going to taste. When they knew the time would be right, they withdrew a joint of meat each and began to eat. They were not pleased. When they bit into what should have been dinner done to a turn, all they tasted was raw flesh. They threw it back on the fire and waited for longer. The next time they withdrew the meat, the result was the same. Odin, Honir and Loki were severely unimpressed. They were also very puzzled. They had a good fire, it was obviously hot and should have been perfect for cooking. Why was their meat uncooked? At that moment an eagle swooped down on the three. Problem, 
it said. Odin opened his mouth to speak, but thought better of it. The sudden appearance of the eagle and the uncooked dinner were probably linked in some way. Odin simply waited for the bird to continue. Let me eat my fill, it said, and your ox will be cooked. There was plenty of ox to go round, and the Aesir were hungry. It was a no-brainer. Odin agreed. The eagle screeched, although its screech could have been interpreted as a laugh. It snatched both shoulders and most of the rump and flew off onto a high perch. There it began to eat. If it had been capable of beaming from ear to ear, then it surely would have done. Even with an unsmiling beak instead of a mouth, it managed to look extremely pleased with itself. The gods were furious. Loki was so angry he jumped and swung his staff at the bird. His aim was good and the eagle dropped some of its meat and tried to fly off, staff embedded in its body. Now, any normal eagle would have had no success at all flying away with a huge wooden stick implanted in its side. This was no ordinary eagle, of course, and it was perfectly capable of so doing. It soared into the air, with Loki's staff still protruding from its body, and a very surprised Loki dangling from the staff. The eagle flew at great speed, soaring high into the air and then diving down onto the forest canopy and crashing Loki against the treetops. Again it rose, and again it swooped, this time smashing Loki on the ground. Loki bled from a hundred cuts. Mercy! cried the trickster. The eagle took no notice. Please, begged Loki, let me down to the ground gently and I will give you something in return. I will let you go, replied the eagle, only if you swear to bring me Idun and her apples out of Asgard and here to me. Loki agreed. He realised that this eagle must be a giant in disguise and that he was done for if he didn't accept the bargain. Loki was returned bleeding to his heartily fed companions. Nothing was said as they trudged back to Asgard. A few days later, Loki found Idun, wife of Bragi, running through the fields near her hall. She had her basket of apples over one of her arms. Loki rushed up to her, a look of glee and wonder on his face. Idun, an astounding thing has happened. Idun smiled pleasantly at Loki. I've found some apples, chattered Loki excitedly. They are deep in the forest in Mithgard, just over the bridge. I think they're apples of great power, just like yours. We must find out. Come with me quickly and bring your own apples with you so that we can compare. Idun seemed to be totally unconcerned by Loki's reputation as a trickster and followed him without a second thought. They crossed the bridge and entered Mithgard, Idun smiling contentedly as she walked. They entered the forest, whereupon poor Idun was grabbed by a giant described as an eagle. The giant was in fact Thiazi, father of Skadi, the wife of Njord. Poor Idun disappeared into the skies. It's not certain what Loki actually thought at this point, but he had carried out his side of the bargain. Idun was sorely missed. The Aesir no longer had their apples of youth, and without them they began to age. They searched and searched for Idun, calling her name pleadingly. They were at a loss, until a servant of Heimdall mentioned the last time he'd seen Idun, she was about to cross the Bifrost Bridge with Loki. The trickster was seized and brought before Odin. So, Loki, where are Idun and her apples? Loki tried to protest his innocence, but it wasn't going to wash. Whether the Allfather believed him or not was immaterial. He told Loki, Bring back Idun and the apples of youth safely to Asgard. If you don't, then we will tear you limb from limb and spring apart your rib cage." I will go, replied Loki, if I can borrow Freya's falcon shape. 
Thethania goddess assented reluctantly, and Loki went on his way to Mithgard. Then he went further into Jortenheim, the land where Thiazi lived. For days Loki watched the giant in his home. He was happy tasting the apples every now and then and feeling the power of youth within him. Idun seemed to be perfectly well cared for and sat around boredly as the giant went about his business. Sometimes Thiazi left her to her own devices when he went on a short journey. He knew there was no way poor Idun could escape and make her way back to Asgard safely. One day, as Loki watched, Thiazi walked to his boathouse and launched a boat. It was clear he was going fishing. Loki looked on as he rowed away and then crept into the giant's house. Before Idun had even noticed he was there, he turned her into a nut and used Freya's loaned power to become a soaring falcon. He flew away as fast as he could. But a falcon is not as quick as an eagle. When Thiazi returned and realised Idun and her apples were gone, he turned himself back into an eagle and set off in pursuit. He knew she must have been rescued and would be on her way to Asgard. He knew the way, and he knew he must catch up before Idun and her rescuer reached the walls of Asgard. Heimdall the Watcher saw Loki approaching when he was still many miles away. He called to Odin, who gathered up the Aesir and told them to collect wood shavings and climb with them onto Asgard's wall. There they waited. Loki and Idun reached the Bifrost Bridge, barely in front of Thiazi the Eagle. By the time they had reached the walls, there was only a few feet between them. Loki the Falcon swooped in over the walls, with Thiazi's beak snapping at his tail. As he did so, Odin gave the order. The Aesir set fire to the wood shavings and threw them at the eagle. The feathers caught fire and the giant could no longer hold the shape. He crashed to the ground outside the walls. The Aesir jumped down and swiftly killed the fallen giant. Loki threw off his falcon disguise and grinned. The nut became Idun. She smiled sweetly and offered each of the Aesir a bite of an apple. Next time, we'll see the Aesir gather more treasure. And next time will be in three weeks' time. I'm on a business trip to Prague, which is going to get in the way of my writing and recording. Many apologies for this, but keeping the quality of the podcast high is important to me, and I don't want to rush the next chapter. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please send me any feedback you want to by friending me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History, or writing me an email mythandhistory at gmail.com. So, have a great three weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.